Hey, Carl here to say that Music to Code By is now an app called Music to Flow By. Now you can listen to the tracks on your phone with offline capability. The first three tracks are free, and the entire catalog is available by subscription with a new track arriving every month. Just go to musictoflowby.com for all the links. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, I'm recording from home today because we're having a big nor'easter here. Snowmageddon 2018. The Bomb Cyclone. What a great name. That's what they're calling it. Yeah, Bomb Cyclone. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, we're getting winds up to 55 miles an hour. This is later. It just it, The snowing sort of slowed down. But uh, the gift that keeps on giving is... When it snows, the, the temperature is just below freezing, right. so it's a little slushy. Yeah. And then it's going to drop to below zero. So everything's going to be frozen hard. Everything's going to be ice, 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 uh, baby. I hope, hope you got so. a nice stock of bacon at home, my friend, because you ain't going anywhere. I have a beautiful stock of bacon, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'm in Victoria, so I'm using my headset mic instead of the large diaphragm mic because it's the BC Scotties, and the youngest That's daughter right. is competing. So. While this happens to be a uh, an Olympics year, the Olympics are in February, the competition mm-hmm. to get into the Olympics was last year. So how does she, how is she doing so far? Uh, she's been struggling. This is her first time playing at this level. You know, they've, they've been three years with this team, getting to the point of being able to get in at the provincials level. So they got in this year and they got in nicely, came in in the middle of the pack. But it's been, yeah. uh, it's been a challenge. They've been playing ex-Olympians, right? So uh, have they done any games in Victoria where you are now yet? So we've had, at the point where we're recording this, we've had three games played and they haven't won any of them, but they've been within a point each time. So, you know, we talk about in curling, make your your competition have to throw their last rock. Like they have to play everything to win. And that's where they've been. They've been just on the wrong side of it each time. And that to me is exciting because the teams they've been playing are very experienced and they've yeah. been competitive against those teams. So we're less than halfway mm. through the tournament at this point. I do think they're going to get a couple of wins. It'd be awesome for them to be in the finals, but it's not likely. They're young. That's that's and, awesome. Uh, and they and there's a lot of experience here, but they're having a great time. So by the way, what's curling? No, I'm just kidding. Nice. <laughs> Two quarries in the world that provide the granite for curling. One in Wales yeah. and one in Scotland. Wow. Interesting. Uh, I, I'll have to turn on the curling channel. Yeah, and, uh, this is the, the finals will be televised, <laughs> but only like the local station that televises it. I'm pretty sure you're not going to be able to get it for for what is eventually, you know, effectively a state level competition. But the winner of this goes on to play nationals. Are you taking video? Uh, there is some video being taken here and there. Yeah, that's cool. I'd like to see a game. Sure. I've never seen a game of curling. Yeah, I can I can arrange yeah. that. It goes on all the time. But yeah, the winner here, the BC Scotties, goes on to the Canadian Scotties. And then goes on to the worlds, which actually uh, go on separately from the Olympics. The Olympic selection is just part of that. Nice. There you go. Well, let's roll the crazy music because I got something fun for Better Know Framework. Awesome. All right, dude, what do you got? Well, uh, Chris Love being on the show today, he's all about client side stuff and yep. uh, JavaScript and, you know, 
vanilla JavaScript in particular has been his thing for a while. So I thought I'd go in the other direction and talk about server technology. And this is a, a free toolkit, a command line interface called serverless. Nice. And it's serverless.com slash framework. It's an open source CLI for building serverless architectures. And uh, it's got 18,000 stars on GitHub. Wow. So uh, if you haven't heard of this already, check it out. Now, the whole idea is that it's a single toolkit for deploying serverless architectures to any provider. Mm, nice. Right? Any provider. So it shows that uh, it shows how to install right on the front page. It shows how to install it with NPM, log in, uh, create a template, and deploy it just with, you know, four or five commands. And uh, it, like I said, it's provider agnostic. It'll deploy to AWS Lambda, Microsoft Azure, Google Cloud Platform, and IBM OpenWhisk. It's got plugins, uh, uses all kinds of languages, Node.js, Scala, C Sharp, Java, Python. So uh, very cool. That's neat. Very cool. And uh, it's just one of those things you hear about and you go check it out and wow. Yeah, that's exciting, man. That's really cool. And it's neat to see the serverless mindset continuing to evolve. It's not the, the every show we've done around serverless because we've done stuff on AWS and we've done stuff on Azure and so forth. It's always been very platform specific. The idea right. that you can present serverless cross platform. That's interesting to me. That's cool. Yeah. Very cool. Nice. That's find. what I got. Awesome. Know it, learn it, love it. Who's talking to us, brother? Grab the comment off of show 1342, which we recorded with Mr. Love back in August of 2016. This comment comes from Tim Clark, who says, Chris, I am curious if there are any scenarios where you should use Angular, jQuery, or Aurelia, or Foo. I guess the reason why your advice <laughs> comes to me is so surprising is because it seems to be that you're saying don't use a framework ever, rather than, look, frameworks are pretty big. Do you really need one? Really think about it before you incorporate one. Don't default to including it. Default to not including it. It may be my fault for misinterpreting what you're saying. I'd be interested to know when you think that using a JavaScript framework or even like Bootstrap would be appropriate. Now, that message was from a year ago because it shows from a year ago. And Chris at the time responded with, a, hey, you know, I actually use a custom build of Bootstrap and, and talk through some of the elements around that. But he does refer to the other frameworks as fast food frameworks. Hmm. And that, you know, do you really need these things? And uh, certainly from a performance point of view, it's uh, hard to to justify. Especially when they uh, cook the frameworks in vegetable oil. That's uh, <laughs> particularly bothersome to me. You know, bacon fat is good for everything, my friends. Everything. <laughs> I sense a theme coming in January this here. theme, I think. It's the bacon theme. Yeah, the bacon. All the bacon, all the time. Welcome to the new year. Here's your bacon. <laughs> That's very cool. Tim, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media. Because we publish every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. We only use beef tallow to fry them in. <laughs> Lard is your friend. <laughs> All right, let's bring on Chris, who's waiting patiently, uh, spinning his fidget spinner. Chris Love is a front-end developer. I don't even know if he has a fidget spinner. I just said that. It's 2018. Uh, we can't Love talk about fidget spinners <laughs> anymore. Fidget spinners are last year. They're over. <laughs> I know. It takes me a year to figure out what everybody's doing. That's it. Uh, Chris is a front-end developer for people and companies who are lost in the sea of modern web and user experience standards. 
He has a quarter century of web development experience, that's right, and has built a wide variety of websites and applications in those years. In recent years, he immersed himself in responsive web design, single-page web applications, and web performance optimization. And you can follow Chris's blog at love2dev with the number two, and on Twitter at chrislove. Spelled like it sounds, welcome back, Chris. Hey, guys. It's great to be back. Great to have you. Hey, man. Yeah. And, hey, and thanks for bringing up that comment uh, from Tim. For sure. Because, yeah, I mean, I really, uh, honestly, I think that's also going to set up our conversation today quite nicely. Uh, you know, obviously, I've got this, you know, moniker of I hate those fast food frameworks. And, and yeah, I do. Um, but we're going to talk about progressive web apps today and service workers and these are really a big deal. And I've got something that I'm in the process of kind of germinating, if you will, and mm-hmm. making before I release it. It'll probably be done by the time this goes live. But I really think progressive web apps and service workers are going to more or less kill the way we use fast food frameworks right now. Just make it a completely different scenario. And also the single page application model. Now, that being said, you did say at the time, and this is a good year ago, that you use Bootstrap in certain circumstances. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, actually, I do use Bootstrap a lot. Mm-hmm. But like like I mentioned in the comment, uh, if you look in, at the Bootstrap documentation and you actually clone the repo, it's just uh, the current versions made uh, using SAS. The right. previous versions were, were less, but mm-hmm. I like I actually like those models because it gives me a little more programmatic control over those style rules. Right. Mm. But they break up that entire library into small individual files, and what we're commonly using are the bundled versions of the thing, which is an everything included uh, model. Yeah. And it's it, honestly, it's really done brilliantly, I think, because there's one single, um, say, SAS file that the compiler points at, and then it imports all the individual files. Like a linker. I- exactly. Mm. So one of the things I'm playing with right now is removing probably one of the key components of Bootstrap, which is the grid system. And I'm completely replacing that with CSS grid. There's a there's a bit of a learning curve for me because I have to switch mental models a little, but it's starting to come together. And that's going to remove a big chunk of bootstrap. But also, if I don't use certain components of the bootstrap styling, I don't include those either. So what happens is I get a very small, uh, tightly targeted version of the CSS library to reference as my base for my application. Mm-hmm. And uh, that way, uh, my rendering can happen sooner. And, you know, I'm like everybody else, too. There's a lot of times where I just get really lazy, especially prototyping and things are just dropping the whole thing. But if I'm really going to deliver something for production, I'm going to go through the process of uh, making a custom build of something like Bootstrap. There's also another CSS library I'm using quite a bit lately is Materialize. Which mm, yeah. uh, which is very similar to Bootstrap. It's a little bit smaller, but it's designed to make it look like material design, which um, I yeah. have become a big fan of in recent years. Me too. Just the aesthetic. Yeah, it's just something about it's pleasing, mm-hmm. right? It, it is. It seems very contemporary. Yeah, I think it works well, and I think you know my first impressions of Android were very poor, but once they came out with the material design uh, approach. It's just seemed to resonate better with me, and it just, I don't know, was kind of calming and relaxing. I thought it was a good mix 
or maybe a good iteration of what Metro design was originally designed to do. Yeah, I, I get what you mean. I mean, Retro was much brighter colored for better or worse, but it had a, that sense of typography and that sense of space that, that was very appealing. You know, and it was just something different. We were all so tired of skeuomorphic. That's all we knew for sure. It's like, I'd like exactly. that, please. But even the fonts were thinner and a little bit more sophisticated. And, you know, just the, the whole aesthetic of it just looks really clean. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, material, I think the biggest thing to me is, well, I think there's two parts. It added a, just a subtle amount of depth with the shadowing. Mm -hmm. And it, it, they also expanded out uh, kind of the definition of the language to include common UI components. Like the the floating app button or the fab button, whatever that stands for, right. you know, that little circular button. Right. And the cool things that I see being done with that, I'm like, that's just brilliant because it's it's a good use of the limited space we really have these days because mobile is dominating everything as far as a, a consumer sure. interface to to anything we build. Yeah, you got to think phone. That's where your customers are if you're facing the public anyway. Yeah, you know, I actually was talking to an engineer at a major. U.S. retailer, and, I'm, and I, if I said the name, everybody would recognize it. Mm -hmm. And he he told me that ninety five percent of their web traffic, I mean, the overall web traffic, came from iPhones. Wow, that's wow, crazy! Indeed. Not even Android. Yeah, yeah I mean, he says, he just looked at me, said desktop, mobile, tablet. Ninety five percent of it, it's it's iPhone. It's iPhone. Wow. So, I mean, wow, that says wow, a lot wow. about his demographic as well, because that's not, you know, iPhone doesn't dominate the market that large. It definitely wasn't Kmart, I can tell you that. It's <laughs> 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 really interesting. You are, to me, one of the sort of hardcore thinkers around web development, being super practical and, and not faddish. So when you make a move on something, Chris, I stand up and take notice. Like, the fact that you mm. like progressive web apps, I always thought they were interesting. And we've talked to the Christian Heilmans of the world and stuff, but you're sort of my cynic. So when you like it, I'm like, huh, what's it got going for it that you like? And I think even before you answer that, we ought to sort of back up and talk about progressive web apps again, just with a, you know, elevator speech about it. And, and then uh, where service workers fit in. I, I just want to get those two things defined right up front. Yeah, man, absolutely. So to me, progressive web apps are the right way to deliver web experiences. And basically, one of the the things that we strived for when the iPhone first came out and we and then the native app stuff started rolling out, I think the next version, we, we started looking at these native applications and everybody wanted to start building something that would work on these devices. And we also liked that native application experience and we wanted to try to find a way to deliver that native app-like experience right, on right. the phone and on the desktop. And that's what progressive web apps are really are designed to do very well. Yeah. They look like apps. They look like apps, which is a big reason why we started doing the single page application thing is mm -hmm. to try to uh, eliminate that that brief flash as we navigated between pages and so we could get that kind of more seamless user experience. Right. And that has led to the growth of all these fast food frameworks, which as I saw them coming coming around, I was honestly in horror because I was already effectively doing a, a progressive web app as a single page application. And I had done a lot of hacks that now have become native primarily because of the service workers. And so now the, the stuff that I've been preaching about is 
really the right way to do it. And, you know, as, I, as I've kind of done my research on why the browsers are pushing and embracing this, uh, really, I, I see those engineers doing the evaluation of what works well on the web and really improving the, the, the foundation we've got to make those things work better. And the model that I came up with was the one that made my websites look and feel like native applications, but also load well on mm. 3G connections on what we would consider today pretty crappy phones. Anyway, right, I started yeah. doing this around 2010 and 2011. And the first thing I realized is that a 30-second page load was definitely not acceptable. Right. And, I mean, the science and research shows that you've got three seconds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A, a little more forgiving if they're on 3G. Maybe you've got five. But there's actual psychology, really how our brains work. You've got three seconds before people really start disengaging. Yeah. And the numbers the numbers are consistent. It's roughly 50% of the people who try to load a page, if it's not usable in three seconds, start leaving. Right. Yep. So you started saying, we did this back in Strange that we were in on the Google data. They Their anchor, what the ideal time was two seconds. Like after that, mm-hmm. the cost of optimization wasn't worthwhile because anything after two and on, like I said, round three is the point where you, you see the drop-off rate start to happen. Right. Yeah. And if you look at, say, the typical framework, the time it takes to load over even a good 3G connection or a 4G connection, and then the time it takes the mobile processor to parse the script, execute the script, and then go back to UI processing, you're looking at a good three to five seconds alone just for that script file to do the framework. And so you've already lost the battle right then and there. Yeah. So the uh, one thing I wanted to mention, and I don't know if I mentioned this before, but uh, the the admin app that we use, that Richard and I use to keep our show notes and our, you know, enter in bios and guests and all of that stuff, I have written in numerous platforms. And the last one that I did a couple of years ago was a web app and it's a, it's a spa. Mm-hmm. And uh, I decided not to use any frameworks. I did it all in vanilla JS. And it, yeah, it took me a while, but I estimate that it would have taken me longer to figure out how to use any one of these frameworks. And now going forward, I have something that I can actually maintain. And uh, it, it's, I, I laid it out in a logical way, source mm-hmm. code wise. So, okay, yeah, it takes four or five different functions to update something and make sure that it's, you know, uh, across the board in there. But uh, it wasn't insurmountable and it's it's pretty solid. Don't you think, Richard? Yeah, it does. It does the job. It, it ain't pretty. Yeah. But, uh, but it know, does the job. It does the job and it works. It's reliable. Yeah. And that was the most important thing for us. Yeah. And isn't that the thing? I mean, most of the stuff that developers generate isn't necessarily pretty. No. But it's, but it's functional. And that's, I think that's where we tend to have a big disconnect. Yeah. One of the trends that I've seen is as we've tried to push so much more processing to the client, developers have tried to become front-end people, but they've been pulled kicking and screaming. And so they look at these fast food frameworks as like a refuge because the way I look at the architecture and the way they're implemented, A, they look a lot like back-end systems. Yeah. But at the same time, they, they aren't designed to 
take advantage of what the browsers give them. So I like to think they're, they're they when I are kind of reverse engineer them, they look like they were built against the grain. So there's a, just a lot more effort to get this stuff done. Mm-hmm. But exactly like you said, Carl, I also know that it takes just as long, if not longer, to learn those frameworks. And then when bugs happen at the lower down level, you you tend to be lost, and you then yeah. have to actually learn the base anyway. Yeah. So I think it just I think it actually compounds the amount of work you have to do. The one I guess kind of good argument that I've gotten, well, really two, and it's kind of the same, but the frameworks are organized in a way so that businesses have kind of a systematic approach or a governance over their code base. Yes. So that it allows them to more or less just swap developers out if they need to. So if one leaves, they can right. replace them and feel like there's a there's a skill set that's easily measured. And so to me, they're kind of, those are, those are kind of two things I think about, but they're kind of very closely related. And so that, that is kind of one thing, but you know, if I was a business and I was really wanting to make sure I had the best experience possible, especially on the consumer end, I would want to make sure I had people who really knew how the browsers work, had a good understanding of how network connectivity affected all this stuff. I think there's, there's a lot of those things that I think get lost, especially on the enterprise side of things. Right. And I want to talk about uh, uh, service workers in just a minute. But first, we got to pause for a very important message. Hey, Rockheads, this is Carl. Have you tried JetBrains Rider? It's a new cross-platform .NET IDE that's light yet powerful and comes from the makers of ReSharper, IntelliJ, IDEA, and WebStorm. You can write .NET code on Windows, Mac, or Linux. Rider has you covered. Rider helps you develop ASP.NET, .NET Core, .NET Framework, Xamarin, and Unity applications. Most languages used in .NET development are supported. From C-Sharp, VB.NET, F-Sharp, and XAML, to ASP.NET Razor Syntax, JavaScript, TypeScript, and all that other front-end stuff. It comes with navigation, thousands of code inspections, refactorings, unit testing, debugging, rich coding assistance, and more advanced IDE features powered by proven technology from ReSharper and WebStorm. Download Rider now and take it for a 30-day trial at rider.netrocks.com. That's R-I-D-E-R dot D-O-T-N-E-T-R-O-C-K-S dot com. And you're listening to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell talking to Chris Love about, uh, well, vanilla JS in general, Progressive web apps in particular and service workers. Service workers? What are service workers? Okay, so um, let's back up just a hair just so I can cover these things real quick. So progressive web apps, there's three main technical features that a progressive web app must possess to qualify, let's say. The first is you must be served over HTTPS. Mm -hmm. And there are still some people who will push back and say, my site does not need to be secure. And I look at them and go, did you just hear what you said? (laughs) But I mean, honestly, the reality, if you look at sites that are actually ranked in search engines, three-fourths of them right now, give or take, are HTTPS. Well, and Google simply emailing any website that it can that's not HTTPS, including Run As Radio, saying... We're going to stop indexing if you're not HTTPS. Exactly. Yeah. Now, there, there are some things you need to do when you migrate, but we won't get into that. But yeah. so the, the key barriers are cost and technical implementation. I think those have been eliminated, yep. you know, thanks to some stuff like Let's Encrypt. And, you know, I use AWS, 
they have free certificates and it takes it takes me 30 seconds to get one set up and most of that delay is waiting on an email for me to click a link so does azure actually yeah they they implemented it recently uh, yeah. i haven't had a chance to play with theirs yet though but they they did do that and that, honestly that was one of the big reasons why i moved from azure to aws mm-hmm. is the free certificates so, because I wanted to do progressive web apps and um, there's a, a lot of the APIs are now being gated behind HTTPS. So like geolocation, we've had that for 10 years, but now the browsers are starting to hide that behind. You have to be HTTPS before we'll let you use this API. Uh, WebRTC, the media capture API, that kind of stuff also mm. being gated. So, so progressive web app has to be HTTPS. What yeah. else does it have to be? The, uh, the other actually really simple thing is you've got to have a valid web manifest file. And really what this is, it's just a, a, a file with JSON data that essentially has meta information about your site that describes the site to the browser. And it's mainly used to uh, create a good add-to-home screen experience. So what most of the browsers are doing is they've got a heuristic, which varies a little bit, and they will automatically prompt somebody who visits your site on a decently regular basis to say, hey, add this to your home screen. And when they do that, it'll look just like a native app on the home screen because your icon will sit there with the native applications. And then when it launches, it'll launch without the browser Chrome. Yeah. There's a good advantage there. And that's what business owners, brand managers are really excited about because now they don't have to go through the app store to get that presence on the home screen. And honestly, you could do it before, but it wasn't quite as sophisticated as it is mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a key advantage. But Carl, you keep talking about service workers and that's the big dog in the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So service workers are like uh, awesome. And um, so here's the, here's my story about my exposure to service workers. I was at a Velocity conference a few years ago, uh, sitting in the audience watching Patrick Meehan. He's the guy who created WebPage Test do a presentation on service workers right before I got up on stage to do a presentation on my single page application stuff. Yeah. And as I sat there and watched him present service workers, I went, everything I'm about to present is now a polyfill. <laughs> wow. And that's, and I, I didn't quite realize, I didn't, I, it took me, it's taken me a while to truly realize the impact something like service workers are going to have. And when I mentioned at the beginning of the interview that I really believe that progressive web apps and service workers are going to cause us to stop using the frameworks the way we've been using them. I, I totally believe that. And I really believe we're going to eliminate single page apps. And that's because service workers have some key features that developers need to start taking advantage of. And we've, we've been able to make websites work offline using app cache, but it's been a royal pain to work with. Mm-hmm. And the way I got around it was I would have a simple app cache manifest file to enable my sites to work offline. But I built a persistence uh, module into my system that would uh, essentially pre-cache my entire application in local storage. And then when IndexedDB became uh, ubiquitous, I I migrated over. Uh, But basically, I was already storing all of the, the markup, the CSS, and JavaScript as much as I could in there. And uh, essentially dynamically loading it as a single page application straight from there. That helped me avoid using the network, which allowed everything to just load instantly after the first install. And that's what you get for free with the service worker. So it's something that runs uh, on your client as a sort of a separate process. I think um, the last time we spoke about this offline, you said something like it's analogous to a Windows service. It's sort of like a Windows service. Um, so a service worker runs in a background thread. Yeah. 
Uh, one thing that I think a lot of people don't realize, when you open a browser tab and load a page, that browser uses a single thread to do all of the processing needed to render that page. Right. Yeah. So when you're, when you're loading that JavaScript framework, for example, that blocks everything else from happening. So all rendering ceases. Is that really true? Because it's, it's true. I would say it's true-ish. Yeah. Because they do try to do some multi-threaded things. But. It, it it is and it isn't and, and there's some there's kind of some very each browser kind of does its own implementation of various things and yeah and there are some weird render problems there yeah it really is and, and some of it's legacy because of the document dot write stuff and mm -hmm. things like that but you know I've talked to Chrome and Edge engineers and you know they both said yeah it's sort of multi-threaded but yeah it's really a single thread hmm. it, so for for they they both you know both groups basically said yeah for your purposes yeah it's a single thread. So, um, but they're, they're kind of sort of working on it, but, but honestly use a service worker to do heavier lifting because it's on a separate thread. And we've, we've kind of been able to do that with web workers, but no one really took advantage of it. Um, yeah, yeah. including myself, I never really took advantage of it. So a, you get, you get background processing. And the nice thing about a service worker is it does kind of sit there kind of in a, a terminate stay residence kind of mode, but it doesn't run unless it actually needs to. And hmm. that's so, that's so it won't drain your battery. Uh, it'll, it fires in response to events that the operating system actually triggers. Man, speaking of triggering, you just triggered an old memory for me. TSRs, terminate and stay resident programs oh, and DOS. Oh man, sidekick. We do. We just lost all the millennials, didn't we? I know, that's true. <laughs> Hell, you lost all the Gen Xers. That is ancient. That is pre-Windows thinking. Right. <laughs> when we only had one megabyte of RAM in our PCs and, and everything DOS. above 640K wasn't accessible, but you could store these TSRs up there and then call an interrupt or something. Essentially, you think of it like a hotkey or send a message and boom, they pop down uh, and you can actually use them. Ah, oh, I do remember Sidekick. I love that. <laughs> well, it, it, it's something we just take so trivially now, switching between programs. You know, the yes. operating yeah. system owns that. And it wasn't that always so easy. It was such a big deal. Such a big Both deal. Both ways, uphill. <laughs> <laughs> Life was so much simpler back then. Three colors and we loved it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't oh, mean to derail the conversation. Go, go right ahead. Continue. It's okay. I've kind of forgot where we were. Oh, yeah. We're talking about the nature of a service worker. Yes. They respond to events. And basically, events will trigger when a page loads in the browser that a service worker is associated with. And we can talk about how that's scoped a little bit later. And the other events uh, right now are push notifications. So, native push notifications, just mm -hmm. like native applications. Yeah. And uh, uh, we're also getting background sync events being triggered. And that, that's going to be triggered when your device goes in and out of network connectivity, basically. Um, and that, that's a little more complex to, to get into. But uh, this is another thing that uh, I've had some customers ask for over the years is the ability to, to just automatically sync in the background. Like when they've got a, like an a employee out in the field, so to speak, right. and they're out in the middle of the jungle, let's say, for, for lack of a better term. And in then they bunker. get back to civil. Yeah, they get back to civilization. All of a sudden, they reconnect, and now they can resync all their data. You know, uh, that's that a really of, good example of when a service worker and and in a progressive web app works really, really well. That's a great yeah. example. Yeah, right now Chrome has it has had it shipped for a while. Firefox, I can't remember if it's actually shipped in Firefox, but I know it's in Firefox Nightly. 
I haven't checked to see if Edge has got it uh, fired up, and I don't know if Samsung does yet. Yeah, the, the, um, the, the problem child seems to be Apple, Safari. Well, have you seen the news? Uh, no. Oh. What news? So, right before Christmas, um, literally, uh, I think it was Wednesday, Microsoft Windows shipped the latest Insider build, the 17063 version. And in that build, uh, service workers are turned on by default and Edge. And the very next day, not to be outdone, Apple released a Safari technical preview update that included service workers on by default as well. Wait a minute, a Safari update? And it was actually known publicly. Dun, dun, dun. Wow. How long has it been? uh, This has been, well, this is a technical preview, so it's sort of like the Insider build on Windows, right? Yeah. Uh, And and you have to have a Mac OS system to get it. So, I don't have a Mac, so I can't play with it, but... So much for open web. Well, you know, it's Apple. Uh, Everything's closed (laughs) off. Um, Oh, and also, just a little side note. If you're wondering about the future of apps, um, I think there's some tea leaves to start reading. Uh, if if no, I, I know our developers don't pay attention to this as much as I do. Apple is aggressively rejecting applications they feel would be better off as web applications, hmm. and and they are removing hundreds of thousands of apps from the App Store because they don't feel they're app-like. Wow. Interesting. And they don't really define what that means. So basically, if they don't like you, you're not getting in or you're getting rejected out. Wow. It's the, uh, well, I won't say that, but. Uh, it's the apocalypse. <laughs> Is that what you're going to say? You were going to say that. <laughs> uh, no, I had something even more mean to say, but I'll keep it to myself. But Richard, guess what time it is now? Uh, must be that happy time again. Yes. It's time to reveal Chris's new marketing slogan. Compliments of yours truly. Mm-hmm. You don't need all those frameworks. All you need is love. Ah, Beatles puns. All you need is love. (laughs) (laughs) That's not bad, is it, Chris? Oh, no, no, but I haven't, I haven't tried that one yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you use that as a marketing campaign? It's got Obviously, it was hilariously funny, by the way. He was just uh, doubled over with laughter there. It's actually time to give away a D-Experience subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. And check out their DevExtreme React grid, built from the ground up to fully support all the cool features that come with React, like the virtual DOM, and state controllers like Redux. It supports master detail, sorting, grouping, paging, and editing, and you can check it out for free on GitHub. But learn more and download your free 30-day trial of DevExpress Universal at devexpress.com slash superhero. Well, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Adam Zuki. Gracious, Adam. Yeah. I'll clap for you, sir. And Adam just won the D-Experience subscription, a big pile of awesome from our friends at DevExpress, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what that is, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree. 
And uh, Chris, it's your turn. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, sir, what would you buy? Well, dang, we just had Christmas. So, mm-hmm. huh. Uh, I do need, I still need a Surface. I need a new Surface. And so that would definitely be part of it. Fully loaded Surface Book 2 is a good three grand. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of tempted. I've had the Surface Pro since they came out. Right. But I am I am kind of getting tempted to get back to that laptop feel. So, we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm going to have to do something sometime in the near future, I think. Um, I want one of those little Nintendo things. They look cool. The Nintendo, what is it? The Nintendo Switch? Huh. Yeah. I just saw a headline that those were the fastest selling game console ever. And I just love that that once again, Nintendo pulls out. You know, they don't try and compete on pure horsepower like against the Sonys and the Microsofts of the world. It's just a style thing. So, yeah, it's a little handheld, although it'll connect to your TV just fine. But people love Mm. it. It's just a – it's, once again, a revelation. Nintendo has a knack. Yeah. And I I honestly think simple gaming is – like where the popularity opportunity is, so to speak. Not that I'm I'm much of a gamer, but I'm just following it. Then I think they I think they've got that nailed down once you get outside the phone because that's where they're really competing is against the phone. But but yeah, I would uh, I, I need a new Surface. I, I kind of would like that to just play on. And uh, there's some oh actually I, I may I may invest in this. I saw Fitbit maybe releasing a new Fitbit that's a tattoo. Wow. That would be interesting, right? That the, the the I'm I'm wondering how much we're starting to see a few videos of folks that have literally screened electronics into their skin, in one form or another. But I got to thinking that is actually a big solution to the problem. So I went I went through no joke twelve Microsoft bands during mm. its life. So yeah, they never <laughs> quite solved the, the 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 structural problems of the band. And yeah, so when they and literally it broke the morning they discontinued it. So I ordered a Fitbit. And that lasted for like six months before it died. Nah. And and honestly, I think the problem is the the stuff that I do with the, between karate and the obstacle course racing. Mm-hmm. I just don't think they're designed to take the the the, the environment that I'm in. Let's say. <laughs> so I think they work huh. too hard to get the price tag down. Yeah. That you would pay, mm-hmm. you know, fifty percent more to get a product built to survive a tough mudder. You know, to, to survive that kind of abuse. And well, yeah. there are some there are some garments that are designed for that that those guys do wear. Right. I don't wear them in I don't wear them in the trail races. I, I would I did wear them during the stadium races because there's no water there. But I did, I did, would not wear them on the trails in the, yeah, mud sure. in the water and stuff. So. But you want to yeah. measure that stuff? Like it's a, it's just an interesting problem. And this you know physiological instrumentation. Maybe it needs to be more embedded in clothing. Uh, maybe it's got to be more embedded in the person. It's it's in, it is certainly an area that I'm always looking at. Yeah, it's it's you know that kind of stuff's fascinating to me because I've gotten into this health and fitness and rediscovered my athletic inside and uh, mm-hmm. you know having that data was like so valuable to me just knowing how well I ran and stuff and I kind of miss that now because I'm yeah. just kind of going at it and uh, so anyway I've committed myself this year to climbing Kilimanjaro again which I did back in mm-hmm. 2005 oh, really? only so yeah here you go 12 years later uh, but I yeah I think I'll instrument myself well for that to do to, to wow. Yeah, we're something warm probably too, right? Uh, it is, it's, it's, the neat thing about Kili is that you go through every climate in the course of right. six days. You start literally in the jungle with howler monkeys overhead and you end on the moon, you know, just yeah. gravel, not even lichen, mm. you know, there's nothing. So you, you get all of them, but yeah, it does get a little chilly on the way up. There is the only ice outside in Africa is in the crater at Kilimanjaro. It's sort of like the only place that snows in Hawaii is uh, that uh, volcano in Maui, too. Yeah, so. Mauna Lea. Yeah. Yep. I can't pronounce it, so I'm glad you could. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> anyway, yeah, good challenge. And, and yeah, physiological instrumentation, I'm all over it. We've got to do a better job with that. I see this whole PWA movement as the browser becoming the host for the smart client. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's where I've seen it all along. I just, I knew there were some limitations. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I created some hacks to make it work. And right now I'm kind of debating, do I go forward using those hacks as a polyfill for Safari and Edge when I know we're only probably months away from them shipping support? Sure. And I don't know if it's worth my time as an engineer to worry about that because now that I've kind of switched away from that single page app model, which is like a big announcement for me, right? Um, to a static website model, I've got those absolute URLs and they work everywhere. And that's the, that's the main part of like when you talk about the progressive part of progressive web apps is that progressive enhancement approach Sure. where your site should just work. But when features are available, take advantage and give a better experience. That whole modernizer, you know, shim model, I think back to uh, 2011, 2012, when HTML5 was really taking hold. Chrome was rocking and rolling, uh, IE9. And we were busy building websites that were trying to take advantage of HTML5, recognizing still most people were using older browsers. But the switchover happened, seemed to happen really quickly. Yes. Like with the, with the conscious extinguishing of IE6, mm -hmm. which was, seemed to be the thing that was killing us back then. Everybody else sort of shifted forward and all that effort you went into doing that polyfill work. A lot of it ended up just not running. Well, you know, I, there's a recent uh, article floating around about is jQuery still relevant? Right. Hmm. And 95% of websites, at least public websites, they, they audited, use jQuery. The real bad news, and I think this is going to be a problem, too, as we go forward with all the transpilation that's going on. Yes. Yeah. Is that I think something like 90% of the jQuery versions in use are one dot something. Ugh. And we're on 3.2 or 3.3, I think, right now. Yeah. And those are not receiving patches and updates and you know things like that. And that's essentially what happens. I mean, right now, how many ASP.NET web forms do we have floating around that were created 15 years ago? Right. Yeah. I don't really see them so much on the consumer side, but in the enterprise, they're everywhere. It's internal. Yeah. Internally, they're everywhere. And there's really, you know, it's super hard to justify rewriting them. This is just... That, that, that it, generates it, no revenue. Well, you know, I would I would argue it's very justifiable to rewrite them because the platforms you're, you have to use them, like from a client experience, will no longer support a lot of the techniques that were being used 15 years ago. So that means your application's going, you're not going to find a browser that will work with it because the lifespan of Internet Explorer, what do we have, another year before Microsoft officially deprecates Internet Explorer? It's whenever Windows 7 goes away. Right. Internet Explorer also goes away. Yeah. yeah. And what does so, that mean? Well, that means you're essentially doing the same thing that people are running XP are today. You're you're on your own unless you're going to pay Microsoft massive amount of money. Yeah, which the U.S. Navy paid Microsoft massive amount of money to keep XP alive. The number of companies that are dependent on Internet Explorer, you know, that they've been pushed up to 11, but they're still dependent on it. Like Microsoft... I, I appreciate that Microsoft wants to retire things. I also think that they know enough to keep walking in front of the wherever the crowd is going so they can be a parade leader. They won't actually shut down that which people are truly dependent on. Yeah, they're they're not like Apple who just says, Screw you, yeah, we're no. gonna we're gonna we're gonna they slow your your mm -hmm. phone down so you buy a brand new one. <laughs> right. Well, look, 
I'm amazed that Apple admitted what they did. I think that what they did was actually intelligent. Yes. But they should have done it a different way, which is to say, not arrogantly just do it for you for your benefit. Your battery is getting older. Your phone's not going to last a day. So we're going to slow it down to consume less battery so it still lasts a day. They should have made a slider that said, you can gear your machine down. If you're not getting a full battery life, use this little app and it will turn down the performance to extend your battery life. Then it's a feature and the customer's in control. It was such a good idea and they screwed screwed it up. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about like how I adjust the brightness on my surface depending on what my environment is. Exactly, right? So mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. hey, your phone's not this old. You're struggling to get through the day with enough battery life. Hey, it, but if you want, you know, let the customer decide. Hey, I'll keep it plugged in all the time. I just give me all my horsepower. Don't decide for me that you're taking my horsepower away. That's crazy. But you know Apple's attitude is it's not your phone. You're just borrowing it from us. And that they know better than their customer does. And it's going to burn them every time. Like, it's just a dumb thing to do. And you're going to want another one next year. We're going to make sure of that. Exactly. Yeah. I, and this thing is, I don't even buy into the conspiracy theory will force you to buy a new one. I think it was a genuinely good idea thinking that battery life was the issue. And if they'd given the customer control over, it would have been great. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. They 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 didn't think through that one probably correctly. And that happens, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but and, it, and I'm not a big Apple fan. There's no Apple gear in my life. I don't want that walled garden. I have an Apple iPhone just so I can make sure that things load in Safari on the iPhone. Well, yeah, and you need to live with a certain number of iMacs and so forth. Like, if you're going to play in the mobile development world, you need to have some iOS in your life. But mm-hmm. my, my iPad is so old, it, I basically gave up on it. Well, I could I couldn't even launch the stopwatch anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway. So I ditched my iPhone 6 Plus for an Android Samsung S8 Plus, and um, I went back to use the iPhone just over Wi-Fi, and it just uh, it just seems ridiculously slow to me. Mm-hmm. And I don't know because if it's old or it's trying to update stuff in the background, I have no idea. But just navigating from screen to screen is painfully slow. Yeah, and that's you know. Just to segue over, I mean, that's that's another thing you got to consider when you're designing modern apps, too. And you see this in the progressive web app space. You've got to make sure that you make things easy to use, right? Right. And that's what you're talking about. It's just not easy to use. It's not natural. Right. And that's that's another big challenge that we've got to face um, thinking about this, whether, you know, usability. And that's where, you know, when I, when I talk about performance, performance is usability, period. And the other part of it is the navigation aspect of it. That's one of the things where the other PWA advocates like me are kind of debating is what's the best strategies for dealing with, you know, navigational patterns? Because in that manifest file, you can designate, am I going to load with the full browser Chrome or just an address bar or, mm. or full screen mode? And if I'm in full screen mode, how am I going to negotiate navigation because there is no back button on most phones, especially on the iPhone. Right. You know, those kind of things. So, And when you get that nail, when you stop living in a browser window and it's just using the browser context as your execution path, it really makes you wonder why you'll ever install any kind of quote-unquote traditional app ever again. The installation model for the web is better. The distribution model for the web is better. The updating model for the web is better. Like, why would we ever need a regular app? Yeah. They're vastly superior. In fact, the research shows right now that the average person doesn't download an app at all anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, granted, say, eighty, I think 83% of screen time on phones is dedicated to native apps. Like, 75 to 85% of that time is in Facebook. 
And it's pre-install. Yeah. It's stuff that's already on the phone. Hmm. Well, no, it's, it's literally, it's Facebook, Facebook Messenger, Facebook's Instagram. And, uh, Facebook has another brand that they bought. And that's the other, that's one of the other top 10 apps. And then it's Google Maps, Gmail, YouTube, Google properties. Right. And Snapchat. Yeah. And then the, the other one that is in there is usually the Google Play Store for some weird reason <laughs> or the App Store. <laughs> but if you look at all those applications, there's really nothing they're doing that you can't do in the web. And would probably be served better, to be honest with you. I mean, there's obviously other class of applications. Stuff that would really take advantage of GPUs and things, I think, would be the one aspect where native still has the advantage. Yeah, you know, I haven't gotten into any of this, but, you know, that's where, like, things like WebAssembly, being able to drop C++ yes. code into your web yeah. app and stuff. I haven't played with that, so don't ask me about it. <laughs> they said that one of the target markets, you know, initially is, like, gamers, you know. Yep. Like, porting Call of Duty into a browser, let's say. Uh, in theory, you should be able to do that. But, you know, I don't know. It's not something I'm interested in pursuing if I'm not 16 anymore. Right. But, yeah, the, the web's come a long way. And so, you got you got all these considerations to do. But, you know, I don't think we ever got back to probably the key feature of the service worker. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is caching. Yeah. So, the service worker has a few, I guess, dependencies. There's like a dependency chain. Um, everything's asynchronous. So, you have to have promise support. All the browsers have promise support now. Well, except for Internet Explorer. But there's an easy polyfill for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it uses the Fetch API. And if you haven't heard of the Fetch API, this is awesome. Um, Ajax, as we know it, is being replaced with the Fetch API. And the Fetch API is a promise-based upgrade or complete rewrite of making Ajax calls. Hmm. So you no longer need to use the XML HTTP request object. And now we got a much simpler model that's promise-based. So everything depends on the Fetch API. And the Fetch API gives us cool things like the ability to create custom request objects and custom response objects, bodies, headers, and so forth and so on. And one of the events that gets triggered in a service worker is a Fetch event. And this gets triggered anytime the browser client requests a network addressable asset. In other words, it tries to load something across the web, like a, a web page or a style sheet or an image or whatnot, right? All those will pass through that event. So this gives you the opportunity to intercept every single request and like create your own decision tree or workflow, whatever you want to call it, and invoke different kinds of caching strategies to either check to see if something's previously cached and is not stale, make a network request, make a network request and cache on the way back, all these different scenarios. I've got probably two dozen, close to 30 different common caching strategies that mm. I've identified that you could possibly use. And say, let's say you're offline. Well, now you've got the opportunity to provide a reasonably valid fallback option. So one of the things I do in one of my demo apps is it's a little e-commerce store. If you're offline or I, the image is not found, I return a fallback image that's grayscaled. And it's just a generic piece of, this is a little furniture e-commerce store. So it's just a generic living room set that's been grayscaled. So that you know that there should be something there kind of thing. Right. And like like Flipkart did a fantastic job with this concept. If they detect your phone is offline, they grayscale the entire experience. The app's still functional. What a cool idea. Oh, and it and it did it looks great as they do it, because it just they just kind of they did a good job with like the, the CSS transitions the animation or whatever with it. And it just kind of dissolves from blue, the bluish, you know, schema to the gray type, the grayscale thing. It looks great. So now you've got this opportunity to pre-cache a lot of your application. Like one of the things that I, that I couldn't do is, say, intercept those requests. That was one of the limitations of my strategy. So I couldn't really cache JavaScript 
I could and I couldn't. It depends if I was lazy loading it or not. I could cache it. And the same for CSS and some images. Um, images were a little more difficult because local storage wasn't really friendly to that. It's really friendly to text, right? So, you know, in those scenarios, I had to have a way to handle it a little differently. But now that I can pre-cache the entire thing and intercept all those requests, if it's not a super huge site, I could just pre-cache the entire thing when the visitor first hits the website. They don't even have to go through the add to home screen process. This all happens in the background. Wow. So while they're looking at that landing page, you're actually preloading everything. You could preload the entire thing if you really felt like it. Mm. Now, if you're Amazon.com, please don't do that. Yeah, yeah there's some pages <laughs> yeah. you should do that on. We built these features for Strange Loop ages ago. Right. But it was really about preloading the cache objects, right? The, the, the graphic resources and things like that. It's just, now it's just part of the browser. It just happened. Exactly. And this is, this is the beauty of it all. So now when I've got basically everything that composes my website, let's, let's just say you, you have a reasonably small website and I've got that sitting on the client. Now it all just loads immediately. I mean, the latency is basically how long does it take me to get it out of local cache? which is probably going to be less than a frame refresh on the device, which is 16 milliseconds. Right. 100 milliseconds is perceived as being instantaneous by a person. Right. And, you know, anything greater than, say, 10 milliseconds is perceived as a slight lag, mm. uh, like when you, like, drag something across the screen, that kind of thing. But the fact that I could essentially reload something in one frame refresh is impressive, even on a mobile device. Yeah, no kidding. Where their processors aren't near as powerful, there's not as much memory, and obviously we've got poor connectivity potential. Yeah. But, you know, that's the whole thing is why if you're watching a rendering, then connectivity is a really big deal. If it takes a few hits and restarts to preload some stuff so that once it's, it's loaded, you can show it, uh, you know, when the next page request comes in, that's awesome. I, I do worry yeah. about memory because I still find... People are pretty sloppy about image sizes and 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 the like. Like you could you can burn up a lot of memory. Yeah, you know we probably should get together and have a chat about responsive images and image optimization one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys could go to town on that. It's its own topic all by itself, isn't it? <laughs> oh, and it's fantastic. And I I don't see responsive images used very much, and that's very sad. Yeah, but it's a lot more to manage. Chris, do you have any resources for us? So I I do have a, a little gift or special offer I guess for for the .NET Rocks audience. If you go to uh, love to dev slash DNR PWA, then that's going to be a little special offer you can uh, access. I've got a I've got a course. It's got over twenty hours of progressive web application training, and for the .NET Rocks audience, you can sign up for it for just twenty five dollars. Nice. nice and yeah, twenty hours of training. So this this could be like a complete reference and I'm not done adding content. I've got some that I haven't even uh, uploaded yet that I've got to get finished producing uh, wow. right now in the queue. And, I, and it's going to be kind of living because this stuff changes. I mean, I'll be quite honest, when I first published the stuff, the service worker roadmap for Edge and Safari was a lot different than it is today. Right? Yeah. And when they launch in a few months, that roadmap obviously will change again. So I will keep refreshing the content as as uh, things change. Very cool. And yeah, you know, like right now, I don't have very much on background sync because it's still kind of new. But over the next few months, I'll add more and more. You know, for example. So I want it to be the the reference place for people to go where everything's already organized. So, but I want to make sure that the the audience has a good good price point to get enter, entered into it and uh, and start making it something that's part of their um, their quiver of tools, so to speak. Oh, that's very um, cool. There's some other resources online I, uh, that I would like to point people to. Uh, one is uh, a site that the Microsoft Edge team stood up, and actually, it's the new version of uh, Manifold JS. If you're familiar with that. 
It's called pwabuilder.com. And if you've got a public URL, uh, you can just drop it right in the website and it just walks you through a wizard. And it creates all the, all the, it essentially scaffolds the initial assets you need to create a, uh, a solid progressive web app up front, including all of your icons for the home screen. And it also has options to create hybrid applications for Android and iOS as well, if you want to just repackage everything that way. Awesome. Although I would be careful right now, according to the way Apple's doing, they will probably reject the app if they're holding true to their attitude right now with the uh, the web generated apps kind of thing. So wow. uh, can't guarantee that they'll accept it just because of that policy change. So one more time, your URL is love to dev. That's L O V E the number two D E V dot com slash D N R P W A. Right. Correct. Awesome. That's great. And uh, there's, there's one more tool. If you're, if you don't want to, if the scaffolding or writing a service worker is intimidating to you, the Chrome team has a great resource called workbox. I think it's just workboxjs.com, but you may want to just look up workboxjs. It'll it'll come up. And this is another just command line utility, and it will scaffold out a very robust service worker platform. In fact, the Pinterest team is using this and a few other places. I know it's included in the Bootstrap project for some weird reason, um, a reference to it. But uh, uh, that's a very robust way to just get a lot of the, like I talked about the different caching strategies. Several of those common ones are just built right in and pretty easy to map to routes and things like that. So, so it doesn't have to be as scary as you think. Um, you can get up and running. And one thing I do want to emphasize with this, Upgrading existing websites and any website can be a progressive web app, no matter how old it is. Hmm. It's a journey. Uh, do one piece at a time. If you got anything, go to pwabuilder.com right now and create a web manifest file with the icons. Add that to your website. There's nothing that's going to affect the current use of your website, um, but you can start adding the pieces one by one and uh, gradually upgrade your experience. And you can kind of see uh, what's happening. And that's the way you should do it, I think, with just about any migration or change to stuff. Do it in little pieces and make sure things don't break and that you understand what's going on. Nice. So. Well, Chris, thanks. It's been uh, enlightening, as always. And please don't be a stranger. Come back when, there's, when you've got something new to say. Oh, absolutely. Oh, and All by right. the way, I do have a fidget spinner on my desk. thanks Chris sure this has been great you bet and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a